What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. up you guys and thank you so much for tuning in to my 10th episode we've been doing this now for 10 consecutive weeks and i'm just gonna shed a little bit of positivity maybe brag a little bit but i am really really happy with where this is going i'm really happy you know listening to some of my first episodes and just seeing where this has progressed where progress has taken me and where i'm hoping to go with this so again thank you for tuning in this week thank you for tuning in hopefully every other week And like I say every week, I want to absolutely waste no time with this, so I'm just going to jump right into what I'm talking about. If you tuned into my episode last week, you know that I'm going to be talking mainly about teachers this week, not just in regards to how we treat them during the pandemic and what we need to do in order to make sure that they are able to enter the classrooms again as safely and effectively as possible, but also how we treated teachers before and how we need to kind of alter and evolve our methods of teaching in this country and how we treat our educators so that we can avoid large-scale disasters next time something as astronomical as a pandemic occurs. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I definitely recommend you do so because if I do say so myself, it was pretty good. So yeah, the main and overarching topic of this week's episode is going to be teachers. But before we get into that, I do just want to very, very quickly, and I know last week I said I wanted to just do one topic this week, but I lied. So before we get into the main topic of this week's episode, I do just want to follow through on my promises of holding Joe Biden accountable whenever he fails to follow through on promises or goes back on his word like he has been doing recently. And I just want to say this first to get it out of the way now. I think that defeating Donald Trump was priority number one in the 2020 election. And I am so thankful every single day that we did that. I'm so thankful every single day that I don't have to see president of the United States next to Donald Trump's name whenever I go online or read news headlines about our government. I think that was the overarching and the most important goal that we had to accomplish last year and in the last election. And I'm, like I said, I'm so incredibly thankful that we managed to do that. And with that being said, I think the one thing about Trump supporters that I found it really hard to resonate with them and I found it really hard to talk to them and communicate with them throughout the entirety of Trump's presidency was not really the fact that they supported Trump. I mean, don't get me wrong, that didn't necessarily help. But I think it was the fact that they thought he was absolved from... being held accountable for anything or being held responsible for mistakes that he made or bad or, you know, sexist, misogynist, racist things he would say, bad policy he would sign into place. I feel as though Trump supporters saw number 45 as someone who was supposed to be held to an above human standard, like someone who was, quote unquote, too good to be held to the same standards that we ourselves are held to. And I feel like that was the most infuriating thing because whenever he did do something wrong or whenever he did do something that he probably should have been called out for or held accountable for, nobody from the Republican Party seemed to want to do that, whether it was other government officials or his own supporters. However, I'm not going to do that. I don't see I don't see the conduciveness in not holding our public officials accountable when they do things that need to be called out or they do things that are blatantly wrong. And I told you guys when Joe Biden was first inaugurated, I'm not sure what episode that was, three or four, I'm not sure. But I told you in the episode when we talked about Joe Biden's inauguration that he was not exempt from criticism, that if he did something wrong, if he said something racist or misogynistic or sexist, whatever the fact may be, I was going to come on here and I was going to hold him accountable for that. And I was going to, even if he never hears it, even if he never sees what I have to say, 
I still want to put the message out there that this is just because he's president doesn't mean that he doesn't have to be held to the same moral standings that we do as citizens. And so I do just want to take a quick opportunity to come on here and talk about some of the things that Joe Biden has backtracked on or some of the bad policy that he's signed into place that I really don't agree with some of the decisions that he's already made that I just I just feel a need to call him out for it for moral reasons, for political reasons, or even for social issue reasons. And I don't feel a need to necessarily do this because I want you to turn on Joe Biden because I want you to hate Joe Biden or not vote for him in the next election or not support him in the next election. That's not at all the goal of why I'm doing this. I'm doing this to show that there's a precedent to be set that we have certain promises that he made, that there were certain standards that he promised to meet that he is just blatantly not meeting at this point. And I understand he's only been in office for, you know, about a month and a half, but the fact still stands that he's not exempt from criticism and he's a public official, which if anything means that he should be criticized and that he should be pushed towards signing in policy and making changes in this country that would benefit everyone here. So I just want to talk about like everything that's been going on the last few weeks that people have kind of been a little bit ticked off about between the $14, $1,400 check BS that was going on. I know that's from a little while ago and I know I already talked about that, but I just want to talk about that quickly just in relativity to everything else. The airstrikes in Syria, him backtracking on the $15 minimum wage along with Kamala Harris backtracking on the $15 minimum wage. And more than anything, I just think Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot right now. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are shooting themselves in the foot right now because we told, specifically, we told Georgia voters that if they went to the polls and if they got us two Democratic senators and if they managed to flip the Senate, $2,000 checks would go right out the door. And granted, I know Republican pushback does have a little bit to do with the progress and how quickly we're able to get this money out and how much money we're able to get out. But the fact of the matter is that Democrats hold the White House, we hold the House of Representatives, and now we hold the Senate. So I really don't think it should be this hard to follow through on that promise. And the fact is that for almost six months on the campaign trail, they did promise $2,000 checks. They did tell us that if we managed to elect Joe Biden and flip the Senate and keep a Democratic House, that we would get $2,000 checks the second he was inaugurated. And the fact of the matter is that that hasn't happened yet. And it doesn't even look like it will happen because we're getting $1,400 checks instead of $2,000 checks. And I don't want to hear the whole argument of semantics. Oh, 600 plus 1,400 is 2,000. Like the math adds up. If you have to make that argument, then I'm like, I'm sorry, but that like, you're just going to piss people off with that. If you have to argue semantics over promises that you made on the campaign trail, you either need to A, not make those promises in the first place, or B, put more effort into following through on them. Another thing that's really fried my butter along with everyone else's butter the last couple of weeks is the fact that the $15 minimum wage has been such a controversial topic. Uh, it's always going to be a controversial topic to Republicans because Republicans don't really care if people in this country can have a survivable, livable wage or even just a subpar quality of life. But the fact that it's a controversy within the Democratic Party is really disheartening. The parliamentarian in the Senate, which I don't know if you guys know what the parliamentarian is, feel free to look up after because I know my definition won't really probably suffice as much. I kind of just want to get through it quickly. But the parliamentarian is pretty much a nonpartisan member, quote unquote, member of the Senate who advises on certain policy agreements in terms of whether or not they would be feasible or a good idea. And the whole part of the parliamentarian is that they're supposed to be nonpartisan. They're not supposed to lead Democrat or Republican. But the Senate parliamentarian did actually come out this past week or this or last week, whatever it was, 
and say that the $15 minimum wage would not be feasible and that it probably would not pass the Senate. And I don't know if you guys know like how the Senate works in detail. Honestly, I don't really know. I Our government's confusing as hell, but I'm just going to give like a brief rundown. So Kamala being the tie-breaking vote within the Senate right now and as the vice president, she actually has power to override the Senate parliamentarian's opinion and kind of either like quote unquote cancel it out. So she can still say, nope, we're keeping the $15 minimum wage in and we're still going to vote on it. I don't care if you say that it's not going to pass. I don't care if you say it's not good legislation. We're still going to vote on it and it because it's an important enough issue. So despite the fact that Kamala Harris had not only spent a year on the campaign trail saying how important a livable wage is to Americans at a time like this, but also the fact that she actually does have the power to override the Senate parliamentarian's opinion on this matter, she has said publicly in the last week that she's not going to do that, and she is not going to take it upon herself and use her power as the vice president to override the Senate parliamentarian's opinion. This absolutely infuriates me, one, for the obvious reason that this is just her backtracking on this once it's not convenient for her to uphold this anymore, once she's actually obtained the power that she wanted in the first place. But this also puts a lot of onus and a lot of responsibility on the more progressive Democratic candidates who are now responsible for trying to keep this $15 minimum wage a part of this stimulus bill. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and a couple of the other more progressive senators have now been burdened with trying to keep this imperative piece of information a part of the legislation that we're trying to pass right now, despite the fact that their numbers are few and far in between in terms of the Senate, and they're very quickly probably going to be overridden by everyone else around them who's telling them that a $15 minimum wage is not feasible right now and they don't want to do it. D disappointed but not surprised, this has kind of been my mantra of everything that's been going on the last month and a half through Joe Biden's presidency. Don't get me wrong, he hasn't done everything wrong. We're far ahead of schedule in terms of COVID vaccinations, which I think is absolutely incredible and two thumbs up for that. But when it comes to everything else, it just it's really disheartening to see him quickly backtrack on everything that he promised on the campaign trail, everything that he said was quote unquote important to Americans on the campaign trail now that he has his position of power that he wanted. Um, he also backtracked on the student debt. He has the ability to sign an executive order and eliminate up to $50,000 of student debt, and he said he's not going to do that anymore. And finally, the Syrian air, the airstrikes in Syria. And it's just, it's all of it so rich, especially because, oh, we don't have the money for a $15 minimum wage. Oh, we don't have money for $2,000 checks for every American. Oh, we don't have the money to cancel $50,000 of student debt for Americans who qualify. But... You know what we do have money for? We have money to drop more bombs in the Middle East and kill unnecessary amounts of people. That's something that we're willing to fund. That's something that the American government's willing to shell out billions of dollars for. There are just, like, it becomes blatantly obvious whenever we switch presidents and, like, war in the Middle East is still a priority to them that, let's face it, there's really not a big difference between Democrats and Republicans. I feel like as Democrats and I feel like as Republicans, we like to pretend there are huge bipartisan divides between our parties, but the reality of it is that there's really not. Both parties are money-hungry and greedy. Both parties prioritize war in the Middle East over helping Americans here. Both parties care more about their political relationships with other countries than they do about bringing justice to important matters, which is why President Biden has again granted clemency to the Saudi Arabian prince who's responsible for the death of one of our journalists, which is something that Donald Trump caught flack for during his presidency. And like I've said before in my episodes, and like I will probably say a million times before I die, disappointed but not at all surprised. It is, 
it's really disheartening to see so many of these promises already be rescinded and so many of the things Joe Biden said were quote unquote so important to so many Americans at a time like this to see him just backtrack on that and to see him say that, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, never mind. That was a false promise that I made when I was just trying to be president. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I said at the beginning of this segment, I am so incredibly happy that we managed to get Trump out of office and kind of forget about that POS once and for all. But that doesn't change the fact that promises were still made and we are still fighting for people's quality of life in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think this is the time to be backtracking on our promises and playing semantics and and just juggling with people's lives like this. This is not the time for that. And granted, I know it's only the first few weeks. He still has almost four more years of his presidency left. And, you know, a lot of people have been like, well, possibly he's, you know, saving all of this important stuff now. He's just trying to rush COVID relief. He's just trying to get the pandemic over. He's trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. That's probably his first priority. And then once, you know, in a year or two, once, you know, all of the pandemic stuff has smoothed over worldwide and we're to a better place in terms of the pandemic, in terms of how we're fighting this and how we are navigating a new normal with COVID, maybe then he'll try pushing for, you know, a higher minimum wage and student debt forgiveness. Like maybe he just wants to get through all of this first. And to that, I say, um, good luck doing that if people aren't going to come back out and vote Democratic again because you've already gone back on all of these promises before. Don't get me wrong, I understand politics is a game. I understand it's, you know, about wins and losses and balance within our government systems. I completely understand that to these politicians, this is all just like a big game board to them. But to us, the people who are on the ground, the people who are essential workers who, you know, would literally cry if we had a $15 minimum wage because it would be so much easier to live in this country. The people who have to navigate life, not just with COVID, but being an American in a country that literally profits off of people's suffering, this is not a game for us. This is our real lives. And to see them playing these games of semantics, to see them playing these games in general, it's disheartening. I've already seen hundreds of tweets, of Instagram posts, of people saying, I'm never voting for a Democrat again. And as angry as I want to be with those people, because I'm like, okay, that's a selfish decision. Like, you're just literally shooting our entire country in the foot. I, I can't be angry with them because I'm looking at everything that Kamala is saying. I'm looking at everything Joe Biden is backtracking on. I'm looking at all of the false promises House members and Senate members are making and how much they're showing people who are going out of their way to vote for them that they don't care once they have the power that they want. I can't be mad at people for saying that I'm not going to wait in line for hours to vote for these people. I'm not going to take time out of my workday to vote for these people. I'm not going to put effort into campaigning and protesting and rallying behind certain candidates if when they get in office, they just show us that they don't care. I can't be mad at people for feeling that way because I understand, you know, as it's it's really just it's really just a whole mind fuck because on one end, like I said, it's like you know, we still need to vote. We still need to try and push for for change. And we still need to try and push for progressivism in this country for so many aspects of our country and for millions of people and tons of different groups who are at risk of being targeted by Republicans should they gain power again. But at the same time, it's like, I, I, I can't blame them. I can't blame people for feeling that way, seeing everything that's gone on just in the last few weeks and how much Democrats have just shown us that 
once they get what they want, it's kind of just screw us. You know, I, that's kind of just what I wanted to talk about. I kind of just wanted to say that really quickly. I say quickly, but I've been talking for like 20 minutes. So again, I'm sorry, but that just, that's something I just had to get off my chest. Like I said, I told you guys I would hold Joe Biden accountable. I told you guys if he did something worthy of criticism, I would be the first to criticize him. And all of this stuff, all of it is, it, it needs to be talked about and he needs to be held accountable for this. And I'm not saying that this means he's not going to be a good president. I'm not saying that, like I said, this means that the next, the rest of his four years are going to be a waste of time because who knows what his plans are? Who knows what he's planning behind the scenes? And, you know, like I said, if he's just focusing on getting over COVID right now and then going to focus on all of this stuff. But right now, in this point in time, I am very frustrated, and so are millions of people who spent the last election fighting tooth and nail to show out in record numbers and make Joe Biden their president. I'm, I'm extremely disappointed and frustrated. All right. Now we are finally going to be talking about the main focal point of this week's episode, that being teachers, how we treat them, and what we need to do in order to make sure that we can send teachers back into the classroom safely and effectively while still prioritizing them in terms of the profession and what they bring to society. I'm going to say it now, I'm going to have a little bit of a bias to this, but I'm also going to have a little bit of an insight to this topic because both of my parents are actually teachers. So yes, while I'm going to have opinions about teachers and teaching and I'm going to advocate for teachers in ways that the average person probably wouldn't, I'm also going to have an insight on what teachers deal with in terms of parents and the kids that they have to teach and how hard their work truly is. First, I kind of just want to talk about how we treated teachers pre-pandemic and how that was ugly enough. Then I want to talk about during the pandemic and how we have not prioritized the safety of our teachers and how they've actually been the subject of a lot of social media and in-person abuse at the hands of parents in our government. And then I want to talk about post-pandemic and what it would mean post-pandemic in terms of giving teachers what they deserve in terms of safety, in terms of wages, everything. So first things first, pre-pandemic, we have not given a single shit about our teachers. And I want to make that very clear. Teachers make our country go round. Teachers make our world go round. I want you to, to imagine what would happen if we didn't have teachers in society. Not only would children and teenagers, elementary, middle, and high schoolers, not only would they not be able to have education, but we wouldn't have doctors. We wouldn't have lawyers. Teachers fall under the category of not just, you know, the person you go to see for eight hours a day in high school, but teachers are also college professors. They're people who teach and educate people on trades. They're people who teach interns. They're, teachers aren't just, you know, the person who stands in front of a smart board and teaches you long division when you're 13 years old. There are several different categories that I feel like the umbrella of teachers cover. And if teachers were to cease existing, or if we were to think that teachers weren't essential in our society, our society itself would collapse. Like I said, we wouldn't be able to have doctors, we wouldn't have lawyers, we wouldn't have government officials. We like we are the country as we know it would collapse. And for someone who is that important to society, for someone who I feel like arguably is one of the most important professions in society, we really do not care about our teachers and we really do not prioritize their safety or prioritize caring about them and putting effort into making sure that they have the supplies and the necessary protections that they need in order to continue to teach functionally and safely. 
Preemptively to this week's episode, I did just take the time to look up some numbers and find some statistics that I think truly exemplify how undervalued and underappreciated teachers are within our society. The first example being that on average, teachers are paid within the U.S. about $61,000, Meanwhile, the average police officer in America has an average salary of $65,000. That means that police officers on average make more money than teachers, despite the fact that I would have the balls to argue that teachers are way more essential and way less dangerous to society than police officers are. I mean, maybe it's just me. But I don't see regular or semi-regular headlines of teachers murdering students in their classrooms and then getting paid administrative leave for it, unlike police officers. So that's just the first thing that kind of pisses me off is like teachers are way more essential, way should be way more expected in society than police officers, yet police officers are getting paid way more for, in most cases, way less schooling and way less qualifications. More specifically, with the conversation of a $15 minimum wage coming up, I actually saw someone on Twitter, I believe, say that a entry-level teacher in Texas will actually only be making about two grand more a year than someone who works full-time on a $15 minimum wage. For someone who works full-time on a $15 minimum wage, that would be 40 hours a week for 52 weeks a year. That would come out to about $31,200 a year. Meanwhile, an entry-level teacher in Texas makes about $33,000, $34,000 a year. And no, that is not an argument against a $15 minimum wage. That is an argument that we should pay our teachers more. It is ridiculous that teachers, that an entry-level teacher is making barely above $15 an hour for a job that most other people within society would not be able to do. On top of that, it is also no secret that a lot of teachers do pay for their own school supplies and they do take money out of their own pockets to buy school supplies for their students, for their classrooms, for themselves, because a lot of schools are so underfunded or prioritize funds in such a way that teachers are often undermined and forgotten about. Around 94% of public school teachers within the United States report spending their own money on school supplies in any given calendar school year. And teachers report on average spending $479 every calendar school year on their own supplies. So it's not like they're going out and, you know, paying $20 for a stack of paper or $15 for a couple things of pencils for their students. That is hundreds of dollars that teachers have to pay with their own money on their own already abysmal salaries to make sure that their students have enough supplies just to be able to learn the basic things that they need to learn. So those are just some of the more important numbers that have been floating around my head in regards to all of this going on and some of the things that I think truly highlight how little we prioritize teachers in this country in general. But I also want to talk about how little we prioritize teachers' safety even before the pandemic. Obviously, with schools being shut down and less people going to actual physical in-person learning, more people taking remote classes, there have been a drastic decrease in the amount of school shootings and the amount of violence that's carried out within school systems. However, even before the entire lockdown, even before the pandemic, when school shootings were a semi-regular occurrence, I remember, and I'm sure you do too, how little teachers were prioritized, even though teachers a lot of the times were the ones that were on the front lines of a lot of the gun reform movements in this country and a lot of the movements that advocated for stricter gun laws and better safety within their schooling systems. And a lot of the times teachers were also the ones that have had to give their own lives or make sacrifices on their students' behalfs in order to prevent further violence and death from occurring in some of these instances. 
instead of listening to these teachers, instead of listening to people who had experienced these events firsthand and have been traumatized by these events firsthand and had to literally watch their own students die in front of them because of these events, we told teachers that they should learn how to shoot a gun and keep guns in their classrooms instead of Instead of listening to the more logical solutions of implementing gun reform in this country and making it harder for wackos to get their hands on semi-automatic rifles and mow down dozens of children within a classroom setting in one go. So like I said, those were just some things that we did pre-pandemic to undermine everything that teachers do in this country and some things that we didn't do pre-pandemic that probably should have been done and probably should have been put into place to make sure that teachers have every accessible ability to make sure that they're able to teach as safely and effectively within their classrooms as possible. Now I want to get into more during the pandemic and how disgusting people, specifically parents' attitudes, have been during this pandemic in regards of how we treat our teachers. And like I said at the beginning of this segment, this is something that I truly am okay saying that I have a little bit more of an insight on, that I probably have a little bit more information on because both of my parents are teachers and these are conversations that I've had with them and they've told me about some of the abuse and some of the injustice that they've faced throughout the entirety of the pandemic, specifically at the hands of entitled parents. Pretty recently, actually, and I mean within the last week or two, my mother and I were having a conversation about a school board meeting that she was actually helping to run and helping to facilitate. And they were talking about reopening schools and how they were going to navigate you know, online learning and how they were going to try and push remote learning for just a little bit longer until teachers were vaccinated and they were able to find ways to get teachers back into the classroom safely. And one of the parents actually had the audacity to stand up and yell at my mother that she doesn't get paid to parent her child. She doesn't get paid to teach her child. This is my mother's job. And it's not her responsibility to sit at home with her kid all day and help him or her with school because it should be my mom's job to do that. And that is, like I said, I had this conversation with my mother, but that is how entitled are you? Children are not a right. Children are a responsibility. That is a view that I wholeheartedly hold on to, especially throughout this entire pandemic, seeing how little parents are willing to sacrifice for the children that they brought into the world. The fact of the matter is that we can collectively agree as a society that most children obtain most of their mental or social issues from their parents, and yet we still somehow think as a society that having children is a fundamental right that people deserve to have. Bullshit. I'm calling complete and utter bullshit, especially seeing how many parents were so apathetic with their kids' struggles and did not want to help their kids with their education throughout this entire pandemic and thought that it was just the teacher's job. I like, I'm like, when I first heard that, when my mom and I were first talking about that, I remember feeling so angry because I'm like, what, like, what? Do you honestly and genuinely think that as a parent, your only, your child's only form of education is supposed to come from their teachers? Maybe that's why so many kids are growing up without cognitive thinking skills or without the ability to do basic math or fucking read today. Because parents just think that they can send their child to school for eight hours a day, get free daycare from teachers, and then their child's going to come home like with the ability to recite Mozart and shit. It seems like, especially recently, parents have just lost the ability or lost the drive or the motivation or the want. I don't know what it is at this point. But it seems like, especially with the pandemic, it's becoming painfully clear that a lot of parents have just lost their 
want to actually parent their children because parenting isn't just punishing your kid. Parenting isn't just making sure that they have clean clothes and food and, you know, that they have a house to sleep in and they have shelter and that they're loved, which by the way, most parents don't even provide all of that to their children anymore. But that parents don't think that they have an obligation to take it upon themselves to read to their kids or read with their kids or help their kids with math or help their kids with school. It's disgusting that parents literally just view people like my parents, teachers in this country, as a form of free childcare. And it's become so painfully clear during the pandemic that, you know, people, it's an inconvenience for parents at this point to have to stay home with their kids or work from home or find different job opportunities to be able to still support their child, still be able to be a parent to their children while still trying to navigate the pandemic. And don't get me wrong, I understand wholeheartedly that this pandemic has been extremely hard on mothers, specifically single mothers, who have had to still find ways to make money, who have still who still have to find ways to be able to go to work and maintain their job while also still staying safe during the pandemic. And on top of that, still being a mother to their children, still making sure that their that their children aren't, you know, home alone, that they're still doing well in school, that they're still able to navigate this new normal that we're currently being immersed in as students. And I understand that that's been incredibly hard on people, but the fact of the matter is that you still made the decision to have kids. You cannot, and it is not fair of you, to just view teachers as free childcare when their lives as individuals are just at risk as yours is. And people have the audacity to say that teachers shouldn't be prioritized in the vaccination process, that teachers and schools shouldn't be prioritized in terms of receiving government funds in order to find ways to reopen schools safely. Do you know how ignorant and entitled you sound saying that you don't want to have to parent your own child during the day, that it's an inconvenience for you, that you still have to find ways to live during this pandemic, so you want to throw your child into the care of someone else who, by the way, has to also care for anywhere from a dozen to three or four dozen other students and still find ways to make sure that they still are learning and that they still are understanding the concepts that they have to teach every single day while also saying that as you're doing that 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 person doesn't have a right to be protected against the same pandemic that we're all trying to live in and we're all trying to navigate in. And like I said at the beginning of the segment, this might be where my own bias comes in because as both my parents are teachers, it infuriates me that people see their lives as disposable, that people see their professions as disposable just because we're in a pandemic and everyone's stressed and everyone's trying to navigate this new normal that we're all trying to navigate at the same time. And people have the audacity to think that my parents don't deserve to be protected just because they're teachers, like people view teachers as being the scum of society, as if they don't literally make our society go round. It's it's infuriating to me. It's like the lack of logic and the lack of compassion that people have during this pandemic and people have had during this pandemic is disgusting, especially for people as important in the society as teachers are. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, until probably the last couple of years when I've left high school and graduated and taken time to actually mature, I did not respect teachers as much as I knew I should have. By no means was I like an asshole in school, but I definitely wasn't as patient. I definitely wasn't as nice. I definitely wasn't as grateful and thankful for teachers as I probably should have been. Don't get me wrong. There were certain teachers that I was incredibly thankful for, that I went out of my way, that I went above and beyond to show how grateful I was for their support. And there were teachers that I truly did put my best face on in their classroom for because I knew I felt like they deserved it. 
But if I could go back and treat every teacher like that, I would in a heartbeat because like I said, now that I've taken the time to leave high school and leave some of the grudges with teachers that I had behind, I truly have taken the time to mature and realize how hard being a teacher is, especially as I've also taken the time to talk to my parents more about what they do and, you know, had more of these in-depth conversations about my parents and what they deal with on a daily basis. And I just, I think about it in relativity to all of these other professions that walk away from their careers making comfortable six-figure salaries. Yes, being a corporation's lawyer is hard. Yes, checking out someone's weird lump on their back is gross and hard. But I wholeheartedly and genuinely believe that being a teacher, especially being an elementary school or middle school teacher, is exponentially harder than almost all of these professions that walk away, like I said, from their professions with a comfortable six-figure salary. And obviously there are a few exceptions, and obviously I think there are certain roles that people in these professions fill within society that are seen as quote-unquote way more essential. Um, researchers, climate scientists, the people who are developing the vaccines right now, people who perform open heart surgery, like th those people deserve to, you know, walk away from their careers making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to other professions, like for example, being like a corporation's lawyer or someone who, again, works in one of these professions and still walks away with a comfortable six-figure salary, I think being a teacher is way harder than that. And granted, I've never been a teacher or a corporation's lawyer, so I wouldn't really have the insight on either of those things. But I think reading a couple of case studies a day and advising big corporations on how to allocate their money as to not piss people in the government off is way, way easier than trying to teach 25, 13-year-olds how to long divide after they've just gotten back from recess. And I say that completely knowing that people are going to initially hear that and be like, Jalen, the audacity you have right now. But I want you to think back to how awful you were in middle school. A 13-year-old has never, ever done anything with empathy or compassion. So I want you to think back to how awful you were in middle school. Or maybe if you weren't that awful, I want you to think back to how awful your classmates were. And that's another thing that I really think parents aren't taking the time to sit down and be more considerate about is like, yes, okay, maybe it is hard for you to try and sit down with your eight-year-old and, you know, teach them their spelling words. Maybe it is a pain in the ass for you to try and teach your seventh grader how to divide fractions because you haven't done it in three decades. But teachers not only have to do that with your kid, but they have to do that with dozens of other students every single day. If you think it's hard enough with one child, with you trying to help one child learn the material that they have to learn in order to pass this grade... Imagine how hard it is for a teacher who has to teach, like I said, dozens of other kids, sometimes, most times more than 20 children in one classroom, how to do the same thing that you're having a hard time teaching one child how to do. Nobody is taking the consideration or time to sit down and think about this and put this into the perspective of teachers. And that's another thing that's just infuriating me and just further showing me how apathetic we are as Americans, even to the people that literally, if we if they didn't exist, our society as we know it would, would not be able to function. Which I think makes a nice segue into the last and possibly the most important part of everything I've been trying to say is that we need to prioritize teachers at a time like this. We need to make sure that teachers are first in line to get vaccinated, if, especially if we want to open up schools, especially when you have parents protesting and screaming at teachers in public saying that we need to reopen schools, then we need to prioritize them in vaccinations. 
And not only that, but like I said earlier, we also need to give public schools all across the country the funds to be able to facilitate the necessary equipment within their schools and distribute necessary equipment to their teachers and students to keep themselves safe in classrooms. That would mean making sure that there are masks on hand at every single time. That would mean potentially putting up plastic barriers or solid barriers between teachers and their students. That would mean implementing hand sanitizer stations or better hand washing stations within schools. And more than anything, that would also mean giving teachers the necessary equipment to be able to properly social distance their students so that they're not going to contract COVID and then go home and spread it to more people or potentially even spread COVID to their teachers. So their teachers can, what, go home and bring COVID to their families? Which helps brings up another point that I want to make, that I think that we not only have to prioritize vaccinating teachers and making sure that they're vaccinated and protected wholeheartedly against COVID, but that we also have to put more effort into vaccinating the families of teachers and making sure that they are wholeheartedly protected against COVID. Does anybody remember at the beginning of the pandemic when doctors and frontline workers reported actually having to live in separate you know, buildings or separate rooms or sleeping in their garages away from their families because they were so scared of giving their families COVID or giving their at-risk spouses or children COVID because we did not, at that time, we didn't have the adequate protection to be able to protect frontline workers and healthcare workers at that time. That, that should not happen with our teachers. That shouldn't even be happening now. So with that being said, we need to put effort into vaccinating the families of teachers just as much as we are putting effort into vaccinating teachers because they are just at risk of being exposed to COVID as teachers are if teachers were to bring it home from their students and, and further expose their family members. And to people who say that like, oh, kids don't get COVID. It's fine. Why can't we just send them back to school? Literally, like, where have you been for the last year? Also, screw off. Because one, kids are gross, especially like elementary school and middle school kids. They are disgusting. Just that alone should be a fact as to why we need to prioritize our teachers at a time like this. Kids constantly have snot dripping out of their nose. They don't blow their nose correctly. They wipe their boogers on their sleeves. They sneeze without covering their nose. Like kids are disgusting. And that's not any hate against children. Like they're children. I mean, that's what children do. But with that being said, we know this as adults, so we need to take, like I said, the extra precaution into protecting teachers against the disgusting habits that kids have. And the second thing I wanted to say regarding that is the fact that kids may not get as sick from COVID as adults do. Kids may not die at the rate that older adults do or adults in general do, but kids can still transmit COVID. Kids can still contract COVID and spread it to other people who are potentially at risk. They can take it home and give it to their family members. And it's even more dangerous with children because most of the time when they do carry it, when they are sick, they don't get the symptoms and they're asymptomatic. So they could bring it home to their families and nobody nobody could know. And that puts, like I said, a whole bunch of people at risk, parents who are immunocompromised, parents who are more at risk of getting, contracting, or dying from COVID. Like, this is not just about you. And I feel like this pandemic has truly opened my eyes to how entitled people are. This is not just about you and the fact that you're inconvenienced and the fact that you don't feel like kids could get sick from COVID. 
everyone else could be affected by your inability to see the forest through the trees. Just because kids don't die from COVID necessarily, just because kids don't get sick at the same rate adults do, doesn't mean they can't bring it home and make someone else sick. Doesn't mean they can't go into public and make someone else sick. You have no control over who this virus infects. You have no control over who this virus kills. And the fact that people are so willing and able and comfortable taking these chances with their own children or with their own families in general, it's just mind-boggling to see the entitlement that sits underneath the surface of people when they finally have an excuse to make it be known. And I really just have one more thing regarding all of this before I'm finally going to start wrapping up this week's episode, and that is, I feel like as a society we forget that schools are not just composed of students and teachers. There are custodial staff and there are janitors there as well who literally their job is to keep our schools safe and inhabitable for the students and teachers that have to go there and educate and learn every single day. And quite often they really get forgotten about and overlooked in our society, even though they are really just at risk, if not more at risk than the teachers and students that go to that school every single day. And I think it would be very ignorant. I think it would be very entitled of us if we were to vaccinate teachers and then say that schools are good to reopen without also taking into consideration the people who, quite honestly, like I said, keep that school safe and keep that school open. It's not the teachers that keep schools open. It's not the students that keep schools open. It's the people who keep that school safe and clean enough to keep the school open. And for us to just completely gloss over them and forget about them, like I said, I think it would be disgusting. So again, I think it's incredibly important that we also prioritize janitors and custodial staffs when we take into consideration what it would take to open up schools again. Alright, I'm finally going to get ready to wrap up this week's episode, and I've pretty much said all I've needed to say. I've said all of the important things, and anything I say after this is probably going to sound really redundant. But overall, I just want to drive the point home that we really do need to put more effort into treating our teachers better and respecting them way more than we did before the pandemic and obviously during the pandemic. Regardless of COVID, regardless of all of the steps that we have to take to protect our teachers now, we also have to look at how we're treating our teachers even after COVID passes and even after our new normal is achieved. And I feel like as not just students, not just as a society, but as parents, as individuals, as people who are overall contributing to the growth of society, we have to realize the integral and very intrinsic part that teachers play in keeping our society moving forward and the true effort it takes every single day of educating the future generations of this country. If we have any hope of opening up schools again, if we have any hope of moving on from COVID and achieving, like I said, our new normal, we have to prioritize teachers and we have to prioritize them in a way that also shows progress in terms of how we see teachers in society. Because again, we view teachers as very disposable for far too long and that, that has to change. All right, one more thing I promise before this week's episode is going to come to a close, but last week I did talk about the Texas blackouts and I did also give some advice to people, not just in Texas, but anyone who might deal with or is dealing with currently winter weather that they're not normally used to. And I told you guys last week that as I find more tips online and as I think about more things that might help people who are currently in these situations, I would come on here and I would mention them quickly in future episodes in the coming weeks. And I actually have been able to think about some more things that I think would really help people who are struggling with this type of weather that they're not used to at a time like this. And one of those things has actually been some potential food sources. Ramen and oatmeal are great food sources to have in the house. Obviously, they're very easy, very convenient to cook, even when you have power, even when you're not dealing with harsh winter weather. But when you are dealing with harsh winter weather and you don't have power and you're not able to cook food, 
oatmeal and ramen noodles are actually very interesting foods because you can soak them overnight in any temperature water and they'll still come out fully quote unquote cooked. Like your oatmeal will still come out as oatmeal and your ramen noodles will still come out as well ramen noodles. So like I said, this was just something very quickly I wanted to add in as a continuation of last week. I told you guys as I continue to think about stuff, as I continue to find tips and advice on how people who are not well equipped with this type of weather to deal with it, I will continue to be coming on here and sharing it with you guys. But with all of that being said, it is that time. It is time for this week's episode to come to a close. You guys at this point, I'm sure, are already very well aware of what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you guys enjoyed this week's episode or any of the episodes before now, please feel free to follow, subscribe for weekly episodes that come out every single Sunday. Please also feel free to give me rating and reviews. It helps a lot. Also, be sure to share this podcast with anyone else who you think would enjoy it. If you would like more content from me, also be sure to follow me on all of my social media platforms. All of my handles are just at Jalen Tully. My link tree is in the description as always, and I will also be adding some educational resources on what you can do to help teachers in this time and just some other facts on what teachers deal with, not just during the pandemic, but outside of it as well. I do really want to drive the point home that teachers are so essential to our society and how it functions, and we really do need to put more effort into caring about them and prioritizing them outside of the pandemic just as much as we're prioritizing them now. And while we also need to respect teachers, we also need to respect everyone else that this world has given us. So please always leave this episode and every episode ready to educate often, learn freely, and love equally. Take care, you guys.